the, the Boga Honey Podcast. That's why I, I tried not to have cams on my bow. I don't have to deal with slippage or anything Shut like up. that. You just put a new string on there, you're fine. What is Boga? But seriously, that's the dumbest thing you've ever seen. It go- I am all about Just strap it to your pack. Really appreciate the fact that you're from Michigan and not Georgia. You don't want to be the next Mark Kenyon. No. I'm a shit show. <laughs> that's, that spot's taken. You can see how pathetic Jared's face is right now. <laughs> because that's how it looked. It was just like, is this good enough? Hey everybody, before we begin, we're going to thank a couple of sponsors that helped make this show possible. First up is Vortex Optics. We've been using their glass for a long time. Uh, everything from their binoculars, spotting scopes, rangefinders, and a new thing called Vortex Edge. Vortex Edge is their new world-class firearm training course. And they, they're going to provide courses on precision rifle, uh, pistol, a couple of military tactics, and of course, hunting and outdoors. And also, their spring and summer apparel line is dropping soon. So make sure to head over to vortex.com apparel and save yourself 20%. By using what code? BOGA20. Nice. Trophy line, tree saddles. They are a one-stop shop. Sticks, platforms, yeah, saddles. It's uh, And they just came out with a new EDP platform. It's a smaller, lighter, stronger version of the mission platform made in the U.S. It's the perfect size for us as mobile hunters. It's going to be available this April, so make sure to go and get yourself one. Save yourself 10% while you're doing it and use the code BOGAHUNTINGTL10. Don't miss any letters in that. Go check them out. If we said it once, we said it a thousand times. Arrows are the lifeblood of the archery industry. Vector arrows, vector custom arrows are the arrows that we shoot. Jared and I specifically shoot the vector HMR, the vector hammers. Hammer them. Yep. They're a four millimeter micro diameter shaft that are super strong, extremely durable. You're going to go to the website. All you have to do is input your specs and they're going to build the arrows directly for your specs. So head over to vectorcustomshop.com and they're going to hook you up. We do a lot of things on our phones. One of the things that Jared and I have found to be especially useful on our phone is our HuntWise app. It's the base. It's basically the ultimate hunting tool yep. set. Land boundaries. They've got HuntCast 2.0, where it, it's an advanced hunting forecast to give you specific times and days that are the best days to hunt. And they also provide a safe and social space for hunters, where you can post pictures, share stories. You won't get a graphic image, yeah, you know, Instagram not- cover over it. <laughs> Uncensored and unbiased. Yep. Download the HuntWise app today. Welcome to another episode of the Boga Hunting Podcast. Today, we have Garrett on the phone. Garrett, otherwise known as the DIY Sportsman, uh, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. No, it's good. And you're you're uh, you're in Minnesota, right? Yeah, Twin Cities. Okay. You guys are the ones that brag about the lakes all the time. Well, that or Wisconsin. When I lived in Wisconsin, they bragged about the lakes, too, and claimed that they had more than Minnesota. Yeah, I feel um, like Michigan makes sim- – we're from Michigan, so they, we make similar claims. Yeah. And so even though we're all Great it's Lakes fair, It's a states. fair argument. I mean, everywhere you go – I think in Michigan, um, you guys are probably have this more dense, but – Yeah. I think it's every, like, five miles is a lake. I think three. Ooh. Or a body of water. There you so go. I think, That's what it was. I don't know if a creek counts or, like, what the cut – I think people are just making up things to, to try to one-up the fact that Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota probably still has the most lakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, Garrett, I wanted to have you on because you're an interesting guy. Uh, you want to tell everybody, like, what, what you do and, and why maybe people know you as the DIY sportsman. Sure. So, with my YouTube channel, a lot of the videos that I've made over the years – not only are just, you know, hunting related videos, but I've done a lot of builds of things, um, whether that's making a longbow or doing modifications to gear like tree stands, saddle systems, etc. You know, I had a couple of videos where I even got into like uh, building a feather burner for traditional arrows, harvesting sinew, did that for a little bit. Uh, so that's always kind of been in my nature. I have kind of a, uh, I guess, somewhat of a technical background in my job, but also I've always just been really sort of handy and like to do things with my hands. So it's been a good fit. I'm going to take a, a, just a stab here. shot in the dark. Uh, you were an engineer by trade. Is that right? Yes. Bingo. That's correct. That's a point. Uh, t- so you went, where'd you go to school? U of M. 
Minneapolis. Not the not shut not, this he's down. A big, real he's this quick. Michigan State guy. You didn't even go to Michigan State. Why it do you like matter, it? dude? I don't live in Detroit and I still like the Lions. No, I mean you live in the state. You don't live in Illinois it. and you like the Bears. But what's your what's your tie to MSU? I've always wanted to know. Just the fact that you just decided one day. I honestly I've never really gotten into college sports at all. Yeah. Until I married into the uh the Burgess clan, local Burgess clan. And they're huge. Well, most I of still them, think you should have taken their last most name. <laughs> no way, dude. Most of them are MSU fans, so go green. You guys – now, I don't know. I don't watch college sports. Does the University of Min, uh, Minnesota ever play? Like, are you rivals yeah. at all? Is it Big Ten? Big Ten. Yeah, they're, they're yep. in the Big Ten, yes. So you're a, you're a um, an engineer by trade. And, like, what got you into, like, tinkering? Or is this something you just always did since you were a little kid? Or, like, how'd that work? Yeah, it's pretty much something that I've always done. You know, I was a kid that uh, when we'd go fishing, I would take a little piece of like pine wood or something and try and, you know, carve out a, a lure and figure out a way to screw in, you know, little uh, eye screws and put hooks on them and stuff and, and try and make my own lures and things like that. Did some fly tying when I was a kid. It's, it's always been something that I've just done. It's been a part of what I just, a part of how I, how I tick, I guess. Did you ever find like one piece of wood did better than the other? I mean expand on that a little bit i want to know like oh for making lures yeah making lures well i mean i think balsa is always kind of one of the the well-known ones i'm pretty sure that's what uh rapala had yeah, been made I'm out pretty of sure yep yeah yeah i uh i did that once i used to I, well, I did it when i was a kid but i did it actually once recently uh when we were uh <clears throat> camped out in uh like in colorado elk hunting and J my brother jake and i oh, found yeah. this like this hanging lake and like we had a f some fishing tags and we're like we we weren't even thinking we didn't bring fishing anything um we got up there and we like were like looked out on this beautiful stream just full of trout it was like this beautiful setting and so i'm like man we got to try to catch some of these fish and so we spent well, the longest time coming up with line and hooks and stuff and like we had it we had one on and then all of our stuff fell apart like our <laughs> hook fell apart and we we're like all right i'm done <laughs> So it's hard to do. I, you know, I would if I had to depend on my fishing abilities from scratch, I would not make it far. Um, the Garrett, uh, like the way that I probably know you best uh, is some of the work that you've done in like uh, saddle stuff, saddle hunting. I feel like that's one of the things that I've seen your video on, you know, the best hunting pack for saddle hunting and some of the ways that you like um like modify your gear is that like are you always doing that or do you have kind of a dialed in or how do, how do you go about doing that I, i'd say by this point i have it pretty well dialed in i'm always tinkering a little bit and most of the tinkering that i'm doing now is more on how can i make things even more efficient than they really are you know can i eliminate an eight step pro or eliminate a step from like an eight step process make it a seven step process can i make something with less movement uh, can I, you know, make something lighter or smaller, even than what's commercially available, if it's, you know, still safe. Uh, so it's always kind of function first. And at a time it was also kind of weight and compactness related, but it seems like everything's so lightweight now and it's so compact moving that direction that now it's, it's kind of circled back to maintaining a lot of what is kind of good about the saddle systems but also making it, making it as you know functional and efficient as possible. Yeah. What's your, uh, I mean, if you don't mind sharing, what's your uh, setup? Like what, what's, what, what's like the thing that you've clearly been spending a lot of time on? Where'd you land? Yeah. So currently I use the tethered phantom. Uh, although the personal one that I have is, is kind of a hodgepodge of, of, you know, I got it before they even had like the, the comfort channels. It was a prototype at the time and I've, sort of added some things to it. I made it so that it has basically the same bridge, but I've made it a detachable bridge on the one side. So that if I want to run it underneath like sick incinerator bibs or underneath an IWAM or something like that, then I can basically pass that bridge through. But otherwise it's functionally very, you know, very equivalent. Okay. Do you ever use one of those IWAMs? You know what he's talking about? Nope. It's like a, a heater body suit. Oh, okay. I think it, I think it, the IWAM, it's different. I forgot how it's different. It's, does it have not have legs? It's got a fully enclosed bottom. So yeah, that's it. I got it this. I got it this spring. Whereas, like the heater bodysuit, it's enclosed on the upper body, mm -hmm. but you have individual legs. The I one's kind of the opposite. You have the enclosed legs. Yeah, that's it. You have individual arms. You don't have to 
unzip and pull yourself out of it. You can just yeah. grab your bow and shoot. Those things, Steve had one. Yeah, he uh, did. One of our hunting buddies, he would just, he would always walk out with this big sleeping bag on his back, and that was like, for a lot of the year, he'd just peek out of there. He'd be know. out there all day. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, some nasty weather. And half the time, I think he was just sleeping. I know. You, you zip it up. It's like a sleeping bag. Though I don't know. It just looked funny, though, because it's literally like, you know, the heater bodysuit, for those of you who don't know, is like basically a sleeping bag like that's made for hunting in with legs and it's, yeah. so you look like ridiculous with just like your little zip tied you know top and then just little weird booty legs poking out so i i we've talked about it on the show i've done a my own diy on this i just took a full sleeping bag tricked it out with like straps on the inside had pockets all mm-hmm. in there uh and it worked fine it fell apart i'm gonna what was I the actually, name of it I called it the Y2 camo That's because right. it was uh, sleeping bags that my, my mother and father-in-law got for some reason when Y2K was coming. Apparently, they were concerned about, <laughs> you know, sleeping arrangements after, you know, everything came to a screeching halt. So, they got these sleeping bags, had them in their attic. One time I'm over there, they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to throw these away. And, you know, bingo. I'm like, bingo, you get me some camo felt and, you know, sewing machine to make my sister-in-law sew it. I designed it. Really, I, I can't say I really built any of it, but worked pretty well. There's actually a there's a company now that it's not in the hunting space, but they make basically wearable sleeping bags that have individual arms, individual legs, and it's just like one main zipper. Um, I bought one because they made one in a real tree pattern to see if it would work, and I would have had to do so many modifications to it that I'm just sending it back. What was uh, is it like the Michelin Man type setup? Uh. You kind of look a little bit like the Michelin Man uh, wearing it, but it's it's uh, it, it's not, I guess, set up with the baffles so that it has kind of that look. It was just synthetic insulation, so it looked smooth when it was on, but it was just ultra baggy on the arms and the hands. and String it w- slap have been and very, stuff. Yeah, it wouldn't have been very great for shooting a bow with. Now, do you do a lot of, do you, and I'm, I'm going to get back to your ultimate setup, but do you do a lot of traditional archery or are you mostly compound or what do you shoot? Uh, I'd say for practicing and just shooting at the range, I'm probably 50, 50. Sometimes I'll, I'll be in a streak where I'm shooting more traditional. Sometimes it's the other way around, uh, for hunting. I'm definitely more compound than I am traditional last year. I don't think I hunted with a traditional bow at all, but the year prior I did probably 80% hunting with traditional, but then I ended up shooting all my deer with a compound and like the 20% of sets that I was using that. Yeah. Right. So it, it's always, it's always been a mix and it always probably will be somewhat of a mix yeah i like the mix mm-hmm. that that's where i'm headed i uh, i've been purely traditional for three years and it was like it's been great and i will <laughs> always be hunting with my traditional bow but it will be nice sometimes to be able to poke out a little farther yeah uh, your range is definitely not as not as long as what you've had before no it'd be nice i and i like i i don't know everybody's got their own thing like some people want to sneak in real close and some people like to take really far shots and like i'm somewhere in the middle but to be able to like go out and feel it comfortable to at least 40 yards is like, it's a pretty big deal. And it like your chances go way up. Uh, so. Yeah. And I mean, I, for me, I look at if I'm going out of state and it's a four day trip and I've never been to the place before, like that's a, I already got the ad odds pretty stacked against me. Traditional just adds that one extra little thing. Plus you add filming into it. All the, the bigger bucks that I've shot over the last couple of years just about every one of them has been in a scenario where I probably wouldn't have taken the shot with a traditional just because I wasn't happy with the angle or, um, you know, they had me pegged and they, they would have responded, you know, more to the slower arrow uh, or whatever the case may have been. But yeah, it's always kind of a, a tough decision when you think about it that way. Yeah, I'm always very, very conservative with so- slot shot selection with the recurve. Like I am, mm-hmm. I am, I don't like with a compound, I. I'll, I'm pretty trigger happy, and I feel like I'm pr- pretty confident. But with the uh, the recurve, that even like this year, I've passed some. I had a shot on that turkey that I could have like. I mean, I we we had one come in, and it would have been kind of fitting it through a real tight window if I had one at all. But instead, I'm like, just wait, you know, be patient, let them take some more steps. <laughs> but I feel like if I had my compound bow, I'd just be like, yep, eh, sending it, Got sending him. it right through. So, it, you're. I feel like my mindset shifts uh, back and forth between those two. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, so I I that was off track. Uh, I, I want to know more about your like this setup. So you you've kind of gone through your saddle. What what else? What about the sticks platform? Like, what have you done to it? What about hanging your stuff? Walk us through what it looks like. 
Yeah, so for sticks, I have a modified set of the tethered one sticks. Prior to that, I made I made my own sticks. I had bought a, a few different brands. Um, I, I've tried the leverage sticks. I had tried the uh, the Lone Wolf Custom Gear double step sticks, and had probably two or three iterations of ones that I had made. Some that were designed to basically have a really flat stacking profile. Some that were just really lightweight. Some that were, you know, basically optimized to make them as long as I can make them and still climb with. Are you Frankensteining um, these together? Is that what you say, when you say you're making them or how, how are you making them? Oftentimes for the steps, yeah, I would machine them. And oh. for the tubing, for the tubing, I would just kind of buy stock tubing off of online metals or McMaster or something like that, just because, you know, it's, it's pretty expensive to get custom tubing, but off the shelf tubing is pretty cheap, especially with aluminum, uh, much more so than titanium or carbon fiber. So that's usually what I do. And if I were going to have something that was sort of pulled off of another stick, it would usually be the standoff. Uh, oh, sure. It was easy to get and it saved me the machining time. Yeah. So he's just out machining. Are you, what, what are you doing with your life? You're not machining I'm anything. I'm not machining. <laughs> I don't, don't machine. No. I've never once machined. You know, that's what 3D printers are for nowadays. Are they gonna, I want a 3D printed. I'm going to need some stuff 3D printed pretty soon. I feel like that's a, lot, a little ways out, though. They don't print. Does it? Can you print anything that strong? I don't know how that works. Mm. I've got one somewhere around here. That you three, I don't know where I put it. That you three, 3D printed? No, 3D printer. Um, oh, nice. But uh, yeah, the, the issue with the ones that you can buy like pretty inexpensively is you're, you're going to struggle to make something that's going to be strong enough to support body weight. But uh, yeah, they, they do have machines that probably would be capable but they're not hobbyist level machines. Like you can get machines that print in metal uh, with selective laser sintering. Um, there's other machines that print and basically inlay continuous fiberglass or carbon fiber reinforcements. Like some of that technology would probably work. Um, but it's, yeah, the, the stuff you're going to buy for like a, you know, three, $400 machine on Amazon, not going to cut it probably. Yeah. Mm, interesting. There goes my plan. I know. There's your big buck. So, so you, so you're, uh, you're, you've tinkered between all these. You, what, what's your, what you say, you said, uh, the one sticks. Yeah. Okay. I've not, yeah, seen, I, I don't know. Any, I've never used those. Uh. They're, uh, they're obviously light and, and there's a lot of sticks now that are light. Um, these ones are right around the way that I have them set up. They're just over a pound. They're probably like one pound, two ounces a piece, but the, the changes that I've made to them since being stock is um, for the standoffs, I've wrapped them. So I've, I've taken a combination of stealth strips and just like that camo form or vet wrap and basically silence pretty much everything you can silence on the standoff itself. And then for the tubing, I've wrapped that with stealth strips. I played around with some melamine foam, which is like inside the same kind of, yep. yeah, the same kind of foam that you would have like for acoustic panels. And it didn't seem to be as impactful as coating the outside with the, the cell strips or the camo form. So if guys want to do that on those, it's, it's probably not going to hurt. Uh, but I didn't feel it was like ultra necessary either. I want some, I get it. I've not tried those stealth. Have you heard, do you know what he's talking about? Oh yeah, about? I know what they the are. So it's just like a moleskin. Kind yeah. Of. It's like, a, and it's like yeah. a lot, who, I think it, what is it? Lone Wolf custom gear makes that? Is that who that? Yeah, they make a similar one that's more kind of rubbery, rubbery uh, in texture. Yeah. Whereas the stealth strip is kind of like a, it feels like a micro fleece kind of. Mm -hmm. Okay. Nice. And probably a little bit warmer when you're setting them up <laughs> in the cold. You know? you'll, if you yeah. ever listen to yeah. this show or follow along with us, you'll, you'll know that James mean. You're about to be mean right now. It is always cold. Well, I'm, no, I'm always 90% of the time. I'm always looking for cold. ways to maximize comfort in order to maximize how lethal I am in the woods. I think we can all agree that the more comfortable you are, the longer you, the more focused you are, and the more focused you are. The more deadly you are, it's science. Yeah, I, uh, I I've been looking into it. I want to try some. Uh, we uh, we use the trophy line sticks. I, I think we're gonna try. One of us will try. Probably they have some double sticks coming out, um, and the other will do the you know the every other. Do you say you do double? Is that is that what you like? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I used to use the lone wolf, the original lone wolf, the the full length, and even I had a set of the minis and. You know, I, I used to be one of those guys that would make fun of the, the double step stick people because it was just, it was not necessary. You didn't need it. It was extra weight. And once I started using the double step version of sticks, then I, I saw that the functionality for me was 
worth the trade off of a little bit of extra weight and a little bit of extra size packed up. Yeah, because you're standing there. Uh, it's it like I don't know why, but when you got one foot up, one foot down, your feet hurt. For like it's cold and like you're very aware of you're putting a lot of weight on the cold. Oh, wow. Yep, cold. <laughs> <laughs> always cold <laughs> i'm just saying like you're doing a lot of stuff if i'm climbing up i'm warm two two steps are way are just a luxury but they're a nice luxury to have is what i'm trying to say like it's okay. easier to stand on and do stuff with two legs that are the same height otherwise you put all your leg on your weight on one leg and it, it just it's just easier to do i feel uh with a two-step are you doing um yeah are you doing rope mods for for attaching to the tree uh the one sticks come with rope mods they come with am steel that just wraps into its own cleat. So there's no buckle or anything, but even prior to those, I was using am steel rope mods for pretty much everything. Okay. Yeah. That's how I got my inspiration. I watched one of your uh, YouTube videos on the rope mod and how to, how to construct them and kind of what uh, millimeter of you what know, are you eight? cord to get. Yeah. Eight mil that I use. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice because you can just, you can just snug it nice and tight. There's no fiddle factor. There's no, you know, landing in between loops. You just get it nice, fast, snug. You can lock it around and it's secure. Yeah. So um, I appreciate so, that. Yeah. And if you guys, have, I've used that two yeah. years now. It is nice. That yeah. was from him. That was right. Cause I got it from Jared. That's where it was. So just, I owe my credit to Garrett. Yeah. So. Well, have you, I've been seeing this, this dude on, I think Etsy, believe it or not. Mm. Uh, and he does Amsteel like those like loops. Like you just do different, like they're preset loops along a chain. Um, Mark's got some are the, the, uh, Mark from our team mm-hmm. and they're like, they're just, they're real light. You can wrap them up real tight. So he's going to try them out. That, I thought that was pretty, actually pretty interesting. Have you ever tried anything like that? Yeah. They're, they're called daisy chains. They daisy just chains. have like That's little loops spliced in. Yes. Yeah. They, they work really well on straight trees. And if you have a, a tree where they just kind of land in between loops, then sometimes if the tree is small, if you can make a second wrap around, you might be more likely to have it land on the right loop. Um, but the the challenge I have with them is that if you get on a tree that's just like kind of wonky, then if you're not getting that rope really tight, it's not going to seat as well as it could. On a straight tree, it, it just you're working with gravity, everything sinks down nice and straight. But if you got like a weird angled tree, uh, it just it seemed like it wouldn't get as tight as I would like it all the time. Whereas with a method like a, either a cam buckle like the just original heavy ones or like a rope mod i could really get as much stretch as possible out of that system and uh it seemed to be more stable for the wide gamut of trees you might come across i uh i am i'm trying to figure out what i'm going to do with i have a pair of sticks that i just have the original clips on mm. so i'm like the straps yeah the regular mm. like you said the heavy straps which are actually nice they're not that bad to use um but uh, my debate was to try the, that daisy chain stuff or just to do rope mods like we've been doing. So it's good to know. Like a little bit of an angular tree, something a little bit wonky, it's not going to be as ideal. That's it. I'm calling a break. You're calling a break? Break in the episode. This for- is a timeout. Timeout in the episode, and we are going to thank a couple more sponsors. So deal with it. It's no secret that I love traditional archery, and I love Bivouac Boco. Jim and Georgia, years of experience. Each bow is handcrafted, one of a kind. I've got special camo limbs that nice. they did special for me. They look awesome, and they stand the test of time, but it's looking great. shoots great. Check them out at bivouacboco.com. Wild Pursuit Wellness makes premium CBD products. It's all natural broad spectrum CBD, meaning that there is less than 0.0% THC. It can be ingested or used topically on the skin to help with muscle soreness or joints. We, we use it a lot after a long hike. Use promo code BOGA for 20% off at checkout. Check them out, wildpursuitwellness.com. Great. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, a couple other things, Jared. Like you were, what were you, what other video did you say you watched that he did? Oh, what was um, that? I feel like oh the hanging one, hanging. Didn't mm. you get your uh, your hang your string hanger thing? Was that from him? Mm-mm. What was that? Nope. Can't give him the credit for that. Where'd you get that from? Oh, so explain it because I just clearly like what I just said makes no sense to anybody listening. <laughs> yeah. So basically, it's a piece. Of, it's a string of five fifty cord that I tied a loop on the end. Uh, and then along that string, I have some smaller Prusik 
Is that how you say it? Prusik Pru- knots? Prusik. Mm-hmm. Prusik yeah. knots that act as my gear hanger loops so they can slide all around on there. Um, but you basically just loop it in itself around the tree and take one of those Prusiks, Prusik, <laughs> whatever it is, the sliding the knots, P- knots that I use, and you kind of just slide it up to that loop and it just locks it in place right there and then you can hang stuff all the way Do you have to your- hang your backpack on the one end to hold it tight? No. no. I just do because... It's just right there? It's just right there. But yeah, it and works just- like a charm and it like folds up into the size of your hand and you just throw it right practically here. no weight at all and it's cheap yeah so how do you do yours garrett how do you hang stuff in a tree historically i had always used a sim like a similar system where it's just like i would even use an am steel like one eighth inch piece and then i would use those little night eyes uh cam jams i think they're called and it, it just allows you to to basically you have a loop in one end, you clip the cam jam in, and then you can just cinch it tight. And then I would have actually 3D printed little hooks that would slide around that amp steel. And then I could just position those wherever I wanted to position them. And they work pretty well. The only thing that would happen sometimes is on those hooks, because they could rotate, there's just like a hole that would slide around the, the amp steel. If your quiver or whatever your limb would catch on the top of the hook, sometimes the hook would lift up when you would try and lift your bow off. And I wasn't a huge fan of that. I ended up trying, I I took some three quarter inch webbing and sewed up a strap that's similar to the one tethered makes, um, what they call the hiss strap. And then took some Kydex and just made hooks for pretty much all my accessories. I even made hooks for, I don't have anything sitting right here, but I made hooks for like my rangefinder, um, so that I just had something hanging off there. Same thing with the binoculars. Cause I don't, once I have a lot of cold weather clothing on, I don't like to wear a vinyl harness over the top of everything just compresses a little bit of that insulation and you're constantly taking it off and putting it back on when you're adding or removing layers. So I had my bow and basically all my accessories with those hooks. And then for my 360 camera, I have a ground spike and that's actually this rig right here. So I can just stick that into the ground. But what I found is with that hiss strap, I can take <laughs> this uh, ground spike and just basically suck it into one of those yeah. loops. And then the, the bottom just kind of finds a groove in the bark. And then I have that 360 camera basically just sitting up in the tree. That's sweet. sweet. That is good. That's good to figure out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that works pretty slick. And and that thing doesn't move at all when you pull any of those accessories out. Really? Because it's jammed into the tree. Yeah. Yeah. That's sweet. That's really sweet. Mm -hmm. I've, uh, I, I'm, I'm with you on the, the harness when it's cold. Like, cause you either, either you put it on like way on the outside and it kind of pushes everything in, (laughs) which doesn't really help with, you know how the way that clothes are really set up to keep you warm um and then like trying to get everything out so i put it underneath my coat before but then it's like you have to unzip or ha- leave your coat unzipped which kind of defeats you being in wisconsin no like it gets yeah, pretty minnesota. cold and like minnesota. It, all right sorry minnesota uh that's basically the same basically. Both. yeah yeah that's right that's right you hunt both the wrong side uh, of the state. either way it's cold and it's like I, every time you open it up you lose like so much heat so much energy just gone uh, so I've done the same thing. Like ha- when it re- gets real cold, I just bring the one strap, or I throw up my backpack, hang it right in the tree, and like that's as far as I I go. You forget your binoculars half the time, so eh, it's so like th- you- it's so thick around here, especially the places that I hunt. It's just I don't know. It's just one more thing I got to bring and strap yeah. up, and it's like poof. well, I, I found that I really like to use one. I never used to be a bino guy, but especially early season when you got the thick canopy, it just if you got a nice low light you know, wide exit people pair of binoculars to help you so much in those last couple of minutes. Although late season, what I sometimes find myself doing instead of lugging the heavy pair around and hanging them on the tree or putting them in the pack or something is I'll just use like a little minimalist pair, like a seven by 28 or something. Yeah. And I'll just stick that in like a drop pocket on the exterior of my something my easy to get to just for yeah. like that. Yeah. Cause you can see a far away is late season. Yeah. Okay. If you get the snow on the ground, it's, it's always a lot lighter than it is. You can usually see pretty well even at the end of shooting light, so you don't mm. really need the low light. You got yeah. your capability quite that late in the season. That's actually a good thought. You're going to still forget them in your back. Probably. Right? Still sits in the car. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great. So you uh, you actually shot a pretty nice buck this this year. I uh, was, was following you. Where would you shoot that again? Wisconsin. Okay. Mm. Same place you've been hunting for a while, or how did that work? Well, it's somewhat of a newer place. Uh, in the Twin Cities areas, you got some, you got a lot of public land really close, and a lot of that public land can be really good. 
and there's some really, really nice spots to get shot on that public land, really close to the cities, but they're like a needle in a haystack and you can spend a lot of time trying to find them. Uh, so what I try to do is venture out a little bit and start driving a little bit further and finding areas that weren't as easy for people to pick apart on aerial maps because the general knowledge base of people learning how to e-scout has gotten to the point where you take some of those places that are close to the cities. That's because of you, man. You keep yeah, telling people lot, how to do dude. it. It's all well, your that's fault. The, that's the thing. Now, well, <laughs> it's not just me. Yeah. Um, but, but now I'm having to figure out ways of like, you know, kind of getting ahead of that and circumnavigating that issue. And it's harder to do out of state because that's all I got is the e-scouting. But like locally, if I can look at an area and say, this looks really intimidating from an e-scouting perspective, I bet not as many people, this is, this is not like a, a very good destination looking location for an out of stater. This is something that might be harder for, uh, you know, people to figure out even the locals. Um, there's probably a, a few good ones, but, but the general guy might struggle in a place like this. That's kind of what I was looking for. And it kind of led me to more bigger woods types of areas. And, and even now there's a bunch of really good content on big woods coming out. You know, Dan Enfall just started releasing his, uh, big woods DVD to YouTube. Um, Deer Hunter podcast and has has put out some oh, uh, good content. He's, Local Michigan. Boys. He's yep. Michigan, right? Yep. Jason Sam Kobiak, uh, Bo Martonic. Bo, there's, he. There's, I was gonna say Bo does a lot of big woods that we had him on the yeah. podcast a few yep. weeks ago. Yep. So. Uh, Johnny Stewart. So yeah, there's there's a lot of guys that are starting to make that content and it's it's really good stuff. But what I find with that kind of terrain is that even if you have if you've heard the knowledge, it still takes getting out there and trying it out to really let that sink in. And some of these places I had scouted them for probably two years before ever actually bringing in a set and trying to hunt it. So I would like this place that I killed this buck, I had spring scouted it twice in like two consecutive years and, and found some good sheds and found some good locations, but I'd never hunted it. And this was kind of the first year that I really decided, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, take the plunge It's a long drive, but you know, I'm just going to suck it up and do it and start putting some cameras out in season just to kind of gather inventory. Um, in addition to just kind of looking for, for tracks and whatnot and other sign and early season was a little bit of a struggle. I shot a doe and was seeing some big sign, but was just not able to get on, uh, you know, bigger deer in like that September, even like early October, but mid October, man, the, the place just lit up. Why? Like that was really mid October got flipped. Yeah. Huh. Like the 17th. Hmm. So the lull, specifically. I say that with air quotes. Yeah. Well, I think, cause I put out a, a couple of cameras and like, I think it was the 15th or the 16th, somewhere right in there. And when I was putting those cameras out, I mean, there was, there was fresh scrapes everywhere. There was, you know, chest high rubs that were opened up in some of these, some of these areas. And I put these cameras out and looking back at the photos, like that night, I got the picture, like pictures and video of the deer that I ended up shooting, like work in that area. And so what it made me think is that perhaps that's just like the way it always works there. Perhaps there's a doe in that specific area that goes into heat early. I don't know what the exact, you know, reasoning was, but that's Intel that I can use next year uh, for sure. But I, I kept hunting kind of late October. We had that big cold snap late October, a bunch of snow um, was, was getting some opportunities, but it was still pretty slow and I was struggling to see deer. Um, and then November came around, we just kept hunting hard and we started to see more and more deer and eventually got the opportunity to shoot that deer. So it was, it was a bit of luck. What I kept trying to do was, was I kept thinking I need to figure out where this deer is betting because I could, I could see where his sign was and I had some places where I assumed that he was betting. But I also, when I was checking the, the cameras was not getting pictures of him consistently enough to think I was close to his bed. I, I was just somewhere in his core area, somewhere in his, somewhere in his home range. And there was even some days where I would look and I would see pictures of him at like 4 a.m. And he hit like three cameras in a row. And then like an hour later, he'd be coming back the same direction. Like he was just going down the line, sent checking for does and then coming right back. All, every picture I got of him was like at night. Um, and, and so I figured if I can just find out where this deer's bedding, like we were legitimately trying to go through areas to try and kick deer out of their beds just to find out where they were bedding. Um, and I never ended up kicking that deer out of his bed, but I think where we ended up killing him was probably pretty close because when we got into that area, it was the first time we had walked that particular little chunk and there was big sign all over the place. Hmm. So are you, uh, 
So, okay, are you going to go back to this spot now? Like, now that you, you've kind of figured out this hot spot time is, like, mid-October and, and maybe in November, like, is this something you'd go back to, like, year after year, or do you, is it just your, this one buck that you've kind of figured out? No, there's I'll, – I'll go back there, and there's a couple other places, too, that I've scouted that are very similar looking because what I found is that all the spring scouting that I had done in that place prior to actually hunting it, I had a certain set of expectations in mind but actually hunting it during the fall and using some of the in-season stuff that we're picking up on changed kind of my thought process on how the deer were using that habitat and using that terrain. I was seeing things that were different than what I would have assumed the deer were doing. And then once I was able to take that intel and look back at the aerial maps again, I was able to say, okay, this kind of makes sense now. And I was able to start applying that look to other places that had similar, you know, swamps or similar structures of how the hills kind of rolled, similar structure of uh, clear cut areas to mature hardwoods and expanded that scouting range so that I can hopefully cast a little bit wider net. Um, so in the case that next year, there's, you know, not as many mature deer in that particular location, or in the case that, you know, word gets out and that place just gets pounded next year, I'll have other places to, to go hit. Yeah. That's interesting. Now. Um, Cause. Okay. So when you were, what, the, re the thing that I think is interesting about that is that you found the spot that there's a mid October spot that you found like heat up. Cause like most people will say <laughs> you get to a certain part in October and things just die down. What, what really happens is, you know, probably deer are changing their patterns due to food or pressure. Right. And so you've clearly found a spot that is hot because either hunter pressure push push them out there or, or something like what what what's the reason why you found a spot that actually increases in quality at a at a time where most people see a decrease in, in deer i think part of it might be that that time of year there's less hunting pressure than there is in november but i also think that part of it has to do with just kind of the the hormones that are that are active that time of year and if there is a doe, because some does come in on the early end of the, the bell curve, some come in the late end of the bell curve and, and everywhere in between. So if there is a doe that annually comes in into heat at the same time every year, you know, as long as that doe is alive and in that area, and if she's passing that gene to her fawns, perhaps that's a pocket of deer where you're just starting to see a little bit shift earlier into where you start seeing that activity heat up. And, you know, looking at that camera and, and some of those particular spots, it was, it was pretty clear that when we put the cameras out on like that mid-October date, it was like hot right away. And, and so I don't know what time was, was it the 12th? You sure. Know, that right. It really exactly. Was it the 14th? Uh, I don't exactly know. And that's something I'll have to learn next year, but it kind of, it kind of opened up the window and it, we got daylight pictures from that time all the way through like the entire first week of November, but it was very sporadic. And, and there was something that was a little bit odd in that a lot of my preconceived notions were that I'd be able to find a spot where I could find specific deer hitting, like say specific scrapes over and over and over again and getting more patternable. And maybe they're doing it at night, at night, at night, and all of a sudden they start daylighting in that pattern. But what I found was, was somewhat more of the opposite in that a lot of these areas, I would get the same deer on cameras multiple times. So it might be three days apart. It might be four days apart. It might be heading west one day in the afternoon, heading east the next time he's on camera in the afternoon. And so it was very difficult to pattern specific deer, which could just mean that I was not as close as I needed to be wherever they were. Right. You could be on mm -hmm. the periphery or something. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and then I was just kind of putting my cameras in areas where, you know, multiple core areas were overlapping. And that's why I was seeing all that daylight activity. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something I'll have to play around with a little bit next year. It almost seemed like if you, if you wanted to kill a deer and you weren't after a specific one, then all you'd have to do is find kind of a bulletproof access to some of these areas and just hunt it every time you got that safe wind. And eventually you're going to get an opportunity to shoot one of those deer. And uh, if you got a couple of nice deer on camera, then you put your time in, it seemed like you're eventually going to get an opportunity at shooting one of those nice deer. And if you're after a specific one, then that was a little bit, you know, more challenging. You have to you'd dial have to, it in a little bit. Right, exactly. That's how I shot mm. my my that big buck on public land. And I have yep. it was one that I, I had seen. Like I couldn't figure out exactly where its range, his range was, but it was a spot where I would see just 
regular buck activity, like small bucks, big bucks. And they were just, but he would be there and he was, he was the biggest one. And so I just hunted it over a couple of years, just pretty hard. And when the wind was right and everything else. And at just one morning, you know, he chased two does out and stopped within 12 yards. But it was exactly like you said, it was more of a, I know enough that if I sit here long enough and, you know, this is generally like, I, I rely on this a lot because sometimes I feel like I don't know enough to make the right decision. But if I just, you know, if I use the right wind, you know, keep my scent down and just hunt there, I'm persistent in the way that I hunt, you know, picking the right spots, right? Like eventually something's going to happen. It's a numbers game at some point. Yeah. And and one, one thing that's kind of interesting is that when we scouted it this year, you know, we took what we learned and we expanded on it, like I mentioned, and we basically through a process of elimination found a bunch of areas that were just dead. Yeah. It looked like they could have maybe been good, but there just wasn't the sign there. And then we found areas that had deer sign, but not big buck sign. And then we found our areas that had big buck sign. And when we kind of looked at it big, like high level again, looked at the grand scale, it was almost like there was a swath, yeah. like not that wide, but just like, I don't know, maybe a mile and three quarters long where all the, all the, yeah, just like a, like a swipe where all of the big buck sign was in that one, like that one chunk. Yeah, it was interesting. And, and it, but I figured next year is that because a lot of that stuff we hadn't hunted and we hadn't scouted until that point. So now going into next year, if we we can be more efficient with how we're kind of spot checking, more efficient with, you know, we put a camera here, here and here, and then we can use that for inventory purposes. And if we're getting more close to daylight pictures, well, maybe that's a key that that deer is betting you know, closer to this end of that range. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll. I think we learned quite a bit this year and I'm kind of excited to see how this next one turns out. I Absolutely. love that. It, yeah. it, ta- it takes some years to, we've got a couple spots like that. It's taken some years and mistakes and like a lot of time bumping into the deer at, at places you don't expect them. But, uh, mm-hmm. how many cameras are you running? Uh, last year I had, I think it was, was it five or six. Okay. So that's not, I, that's I not own, crazy. Yeah. I own more than that, but putting them out there is like, it's a lot it's more work than actually just like putting the boots on the ground and scouting it seems like yeah um it, it's like if i if i take even those like five cameras it's like okay if i want to check every card it's, i gotta leave it in the morning and i'll get back at night because they're just they're spread out over like such an area and and a lot of them are, are you know an hour and a half a walk from the truck so it's not convenient to check them um from that aspect uh, i might start using more cell cams in areas that i have that cell service just to save the amount of walking Cause I mean, every time I'm going out there, I'm basically taking every opportunity that I can to walk and spot check areas on foot and look for fresh tracks and logging roads and things like that. So it's not like I'm necessarily always, you know, would be using them as a crutch more as just like a, uh, a supplement to what yeah. I'm able to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause it can only be at one place at one time. Yeah. So yeah, I, I may do some more of that. And I may just, because that the areas can be so vast. Yeah. I might find that, you know, maybe, maybe this place 10 miles down the road is really hot this right year. right and then i can focus more over there yeah it's it's like it, it in some sense it burns a lot of time setting them up in the other sense like over the years it saves you a lot of time because mm-hmm. you can start creating like a database of you know what you've seen and where you've seen at what time and everything else um and, and so we've we've talked a lot about it we've had different guests say different things some swear that like cell cameras are the devil you know, some rely heavily on, on uh, cell cameras. Uh, and so this year we've, we've tried them in the past. Uh, they just never, wherever we hunt, I feel like there's just terrible service. Yeah. I got one right there. Yeah, you do. What is that? I think it's terrible. Yeah. It never has worked. What is it? It's a, <laughs> just by point. Yeah. The okay. micro. Yeah. It's, I've actually had it on for the past week. I don't even know if it's still on just to see if it takes pictures of me like walking down here. Does it send you? It doesn't send you pictures. Doesn't anymore? send me anything, and I've actually sent them one saying this is defective and this is a brand new one. Still and doesn't work. I, maybe are you sure you're not doing it wrong? Um, you I'd like to the, think uh, I'm pretty technologically savvy. Yeah. Uh, being that I've got a degree in technology. Yeah. But uh, no, just doesn't doesn't seem to work. Not I'm sure there are models and devices out there that have worked for people mine and i'm just are you uh, i'm over two are you turned off on cell cell cameras altogether just that brand maybe you heard it here first you know some people are like i'm all moultrie or i'm all cutty back or i'm all wild game innovations or not many yeah what do you use i have a mix i had uh i have a few exodus i have a couple of spy points and i had a couple of the new tactic cams 
Oh yeah. And then I ha- I had some of like the old Tasco ones, like the twenty eight dollar ones, and probably something. I think I had a, a Browning and a Primos, neither of which really work anymore. So it's kind of those the former of those ones yeah. that I listed out that was kind of my mix. I had Moultries, a couple Moultries for a while. They yep. they seemed to work. They're big big old bricks but they i was looking at those tack what are they tascos the 20 do those things work 25 five bucks or whatever on amazon yeah for for 25 or yeah 30 bucks or whatever they cost they're they're not the best quality but they're reliable enough that you're not kicking yourself for for cheaping out yeah you're spending like so you're getting like a picture of it it's yeah. not the clearest yeah. picture yeah yeah like like if you're gonna have like a few to put out of like out of state or something where it's like okay these might get stolen yeah. Um, or you're just you're putting them in an area where you're a little bit concerned about that. Yeah, most areas not, that we hunt. Yeah, <laughs> chalk it to the game. Yeah. yeah, they're not they're not the best if you, I guess, want all the features that a, a camera could give you. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, good video quality. You know, I, the photo quality is decent, but if I was gonna, you know, invest a lot of money into them, they wouldn't. I wouldn't get like ten of those. I would get you know maybe five or seven that are. Yeah. a little bit higher quality that makes sense i was looking at them because where i'm i where I'm, I'm i'm moving this summer and where i'm moving i've got some spots that i've hunted in the past we've seen a lot of guys where the spots the same like you said is like this like on the map is awesome you get out there and every and everybody and his brother have been out there like you know we trail we, cam yeah. trail, trail camera cam. or like Stand. dead deer you're right that's when he shot uh and it was like dang it you know we even we got up at like that was an the early crack ass yeah. you know and got out there hoofed it the long way through the briars and just and we got there and i mean i saw a doe <laughs> that was it yeah so that fucking... morning i'm like oh it's gonna happen this is a sweet spot and like you said people just i don't know we, we've talked about just setting up near the uh like dan i feel like it's dan info that says just set up near the the parking like yeah. the parks no one hunts he, he's, there. he's not he's not wrong no um and he's been saying that for a long time that's probably the first person that i heard basically give that advice and you know lo and behold one of the places that we scouted this spring it was right next to the parking lot and we're like oh what the heck we'll check it out and it was littered with good deer sign yeah and, and you, you step out of it and it's like man you, you walk up to the road and it's like it's that close like you could literally almost see a deer sitting in there if you're driving past if you know where exactly to look yeah like just that close to the road and yeah everybody the park's there it's pretty busy parking lot everybody just walks right past how many yards are you from the road uh, and, and this, this particular spot, I'm, yeah. I'm talking to some of those beds are like 50 yards from the, <laughs> the from the road. You love to see it. Hey, we Everybody had, we walks had, past we had, it. We had that encounter this past fall. We were out, yeah. uh, state land up North where we're, we're pretty well familiar with the land around in that area. And we yeah. finally just, we're just checking park, stuff out, park, slow hunting, slow hunting, just walk down probably 50, 75 yards from our, our truck or in, Sure enough, kicked up a big old eight point. Yeah, big. It was big. Dude. He was For that tucked area, up under was... a deadfall, just like hidden under the tree, like laying underneath it. And it was beautiful because he would he could see the, up the hill right to the parking lot, like right to where pe- people park. So clearly, he just either would hunker down and like you could not see him in there, mm-hmm. or he would take off and like you saw. I mean, you he took off and down an island and through a swamp and like yeah. never to be seen again. So good times yeah those those spots are nice i mean you can hunt them pretty much however you want to hunt them but they always seem nice from like a morning hunt perspective yeah because they're going to be crawling back into those areas and you don't have to get there you know two hours before right. light to, to crawl in in the dark and get set up <laughs> in some nasty area you can just take a nice leisurely walk walk from the truck and get set up yeah you but, take your time and you just, don't even need a bunch of diy gear you can just yeah you just yeah. you can lug it all out there take just take a sled there, you know no that's pretty funny um so you are going into this year. You've been, I'm assuming, turkey hunting. Uh, do, you, do you, what, what do you, what's your plans for this year? What, what hunts do you got lined up? Yeah, we still got a few more turkey hunts left. Um, the first one, actually, like all my turkey hunting this year has been in May. So I didn't go any out of state. I didn't get an early Minnesota tag. Uh, my wife just shot one on Saturday, and and now it's basically from now until the end of May, turkey hunting every chance we get, and then going into this fall. I'll be hunting Nebraska for their opener. And then depending on how things shake out with timing and tags and whatnot, we might go straight up to North Dakota. If not, I'd still like to go back to North Dakota for the rut or maybe even late season, uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota for sure. 
and I'm considering doing another Iowa gun tag again, which is like a December, could be January if I do a late muzzleloader hunt and might be doing Pennsylvania for uh, like a four day hunt as well. PA. Well, PA. What action. do you, who, who, do you know people out there or whatever? Uh, through Spartan Forge. Okay. Uh, they're putting something together. So um, if that all, if that all works out, then I'd be going out there for nice little four day hunt which should be pretty fun that's a busy cool. year you got a lot of things yeah. on the horizon yeah it forces you to be efficient with your time and i always wonder like you know because last year i definitely weighted my hunting much more towards wisconsin even though i had a lot of tags it kind of felt like wisconsin was was the main grind and then everything else was like man i just i just have not been putting enough time into these other things to really make them successful so yeah, and unless I somehow, you know, manage to work fewer hours, it's kind of the the balance I'm have to strike. You know, just do you you put all your eggs in one basket and just hunt one state and hunt it hard and hunt it right, or do you, you know, split time and and try to make the best of your three four day trips? That's yeah. that's where we're at. What are you going to do this year? Did you make up make up your mind yet? Are you hunting Michigan hard? Always, I always hunt Michigan hard, man. Road hard and put away wet. I think that's the. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's exactly. That's like a boat I had once. Yeah. Or is it girlfriend? Yeah, anyways. I don't know. Uh, you, uh, you're going, are you going out of state? Did you, have you picked a place you want to go? Probably not. You just don't want to? You uh, don't like, do you just, not like hunting? I love to hunt. I just have some prior engagements that I'm engaged in. What's that? Don't worry about it. I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, um. We're coming up on time, Garrett. Uh, for for people who want to see, you know, all your DIY, your hunts, you know, all the things that you've been up to, uh, how can they find you? Easiest place would be YouTube. That's where most of my content is. So if you type in DIY Sportsman on YouTube, that's where you find most of my stuff. Otherwise, Instagram DIY underscore Sportsman, or, or on Facebook too. Although Facebook is mostly just reposting what I post on Instagram. Yeah, I think yeah. that's how ours work too. I've never <laughs> yeah. go to ours, so uh, I wouldn't I know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have a podcast also, and that one you can search DIY Sportsman or it's through the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. So awesome. get into one of those and pull it up. Wonderful. Very well, cool. hey, thank you so much for, for just taking a minute just to, to chat a little bit, get to know you a little bit better, um, and we'll uh, follow along this fall as you're all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. All right, sounds good. Thanks. <laughs>